3: Good morning. It's 8.30 on Thursday, January 7th. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, health officials lay out plans to expedite vaccines to Mississippi's oldest residents. Then the new state flag moves one step closer to becoming official as the Senate ratified the November vote. But a recent poll indicates nearly 40 percent of voters still believe Mississippi is heading in the wrong direction. Plus, in today's book club, Mississippi author Michael Ferris Smith creates a backstory for The Great Gatsby's narrator, Nick Carraway. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. As the transmission of the coronavirus continues at an alarming rate, Mississippi is crossing another pandemic threshold. With 38 new COVID-19 related deaths reported yesterday by the Department of Health, the state has surpassed 5,000 total deaths. It took a mere 28 days to top that mark after reaching 4,000 deaths on December 8th. With the coronavirus vaccine now limitedly available, The Department of Health is expanding vaccine availability ahead of schedule to residents aged 75 and older. State Health Officer Dr. Thomas Dobbs says he wants the current allocation of vaccines to go to who needs them, especially those in the most vulnerable age groups.
1: I think what's confusing a little bit, too, is we activated the 75 a week earlier than we said we would. So in the press conference, we were planning on next week, starting with the 75 and older. But we had a few appointments open within our drive-thrus, and we didn't want them to go unused. So we want to go ahead and make where they're available to go ahead and get used by whoever can, whoever can have access to them. Um, so we're looking at, you know, this week and next week, really um, open it up more to 75 and older folks. And then hopefully the week thereafter can look at uh, people 65 and older. And as you know, as soon as we can get folks appointments, we want to. Please be patient. There are way more people in Mississippi who are in these age groups than we have access to vaccine. But as quickly as we can, we want to get this highly effective, safe vaccine in the arms of seniors so that they can be protected.
3: The health department will administer drive-through vaccinations much in the same manner it has done uh, with drive-through testing. Private physicians and clinics will also have allocations of vaccines for their patients. For those distributed by the health department, Dobbs says there will be a a centralized scheduling system.
1: The centralized system is just for our drive-through locations. So folks can go and get signed up whenever their doctors have it, right? And they have it now. Some of them do. When we publish that, they'll be able to to um, just talk to their doc and get set up. So the online system is one that we developed along with our UNC partners for our testing locations, and we leverage that knowledge experience to go ahead and, and be uh, ready to launch the drive-through sites um, using that online uh, portal, uh, which is really it's simple, it's elegant, it's it's it, 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 it's you know well designed. But again, that's only for the drive-through locations uh, for pharmacies or private offices or community health centers, that'll be scheduled the normal way you would schedule an appointment.
3: One reason vaccines are being made available to older residents ahead of schedule is a reluctance by some health care workers to receive the vaccine. Dr. Dobbs says this is particularly true with workers in long-term care facilities, a trend he finds quite alarming.
1: Uh, I know within the hospitals um, and within the nursing homes that there probably wasn't the uptake um, as much as we would want in some, some populations especially the long-term care settings. We've heard, you know, sort of anecdotally in different places that like maybe only 20, 30, 40% of the folks in long-term care who work there are getting vaccine. That's a huge problem. This is our vulnerability. Um, If we could immunize everybody who works in long-term care, we basically would end long-term care outbreaks. Um, It's very vexing. It's uh, it's very um, disturbing. So we're going to need to do a lot better work getting those folks immunized and protected because if we don't, these deaths, these outbreaks are going to continue. Um, we've got a lot of work to do on that.
3: There is also an effort to raise awareness of the safety and efficacy of the vaccine within Mississippi's black community. Dobbs says it's a two-pronged effort that includes providing access and developing trust.
1: You know, the concrete parts is, uh, you know, working with uh, leaders in the black community, without a doubt, and making sure that places where black folks go to get health care have access to vaccine, um, you know, having an access issue. I mean, there's two big pieces to this. There's, do you have access? I mean, can you get to it? Is it in your neighborhood? Is it in your doctor's office? And um, do you believe in the vaccine? Are you worried about it? Um, you know, do you, do you trust the healthcare system? Um, those can go kind of hand in hand, but some of the things that we've done um, yesterday, you know, we, we, we were very fortunate to have Dr. Phillips volunteered to use her clinic so we could vaccinate uh, black physician leaders to show their faith in the vaccine. Um, we have been working with State Medical, Dr. Brunson, to help get the word out. We've actually got some other things in store. I'm not going to give it all away. I don't I want to. I don't want to leave no surprises for you guys. Uh, we do have a very strong health equity branch that's been working very, very aggressively to make sure that not only are we aware of the needs and concerns of the Black community, um, and uh, but also try to find interventions to deal with it. But we have actually a testing unit and a mass delivery unit that goes throughout the state that's devoted entirely to health equity. And, and underserved populations. Um, so we'll we'll carry that on that same sort of mentality, that same sort of activism into uh, the vaccination effort. And then having the right partners, um, we're going to invest heavily in our partnership with community health centers. Um, they're in Black communities, they're in rural communities. Um, they're trusted partners, um, and it's super excited to have them working with us. Um, and I have just I speak with them, you know, pretty much daily, or communicate with them daily, making sure that they're uh, you know in the system and able to get vaccine.
3: The modified vaccine rollout also comes during a time of immense strain on the state's hospital system. Dobbs warns hospitals, especially emergency rooms, are operating at capacity and urges residents to take advantage of urgent care centers if they can.
1: I mean, the ERs are backed up. I mean, it's going to you know, you may not you may not get in for 12, 15 hours sometimes. I mean, this is kind of what we thought was going to be happening. A lot of ERs have turned into ICUs, right? They're using their ER beds as ICU beds because they have nowhere else to put them. Um, you know, we do have multiple mechanisms of healthcare in Mississippi. Um, we should all choose the, the level that's appropriate for us. But, um, again, that's something else that's going to be difficult to manage. Um, certainly just like anything, we'll triage the more severe ones, the strokes, the heart attacks and the, and the motor vehicle accidents and traumas as we have to. But for normal sort of day to day stuff, there is no telling how long people are going to have to wait if they go to the ER when they could go to a normal clinic.
3: The state reported 2,791 cases of COVID-19 yesterday, the second highest daily report of the pandemic. There have been 228,235 total reported cases in Mississippi since March 11th of last year. Coming up, the new state flag moves one step closer to becoming official, but a recent poll indicates nearly 40% of voters still believe Mississippi is heading in the wrong direction. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
4: I'm Allison Walker, the lady auto mechanic, host of AutoCorrect. If you're enjoying this podcast, try my podcast,
0: auto Correct. We help steer you in the right direction with your car problems. Find me on any podcast platform or at autocorrect.mpbonline.org.
3: This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. The Magnolia State flag is a governor's signature away from officially having the Magnolia State of having a new state flag. The Senate ratified the results of the November initiative yesterday. Lieutenant Governor Delbert Hoseman says he wants the vote to be a stepping stone to more comprehensive solutions.
1: Today, we just ratified the voice of the people. I mean, people of Mississippi voted 72 percent for this flag that we now have and are really excited about Finishing that journey, and we want to use that not as as the end of a race, but as the start of the race. We want to go ahead now and brand Mississippi as with new business incentives that we'll be releasing today, uh, a new flag, a new attitude. We're open for business. We want you to come here. And so this is one part of that uh, process, but there'll be economic parts and education parts you'll see coming from us that will complement all of this.
3: But despite the state's progress in adopting a new banner, many Mississippians, nearly 40 percent, believe the state is headed in the wrong direction. That's according to the latest State of the State poll conducted by Chisholm Strategies and Millsaps College. Nathan Schrader is the chair of the Department of Government and Politics at Millsaps. In part one of his conversation with our Michael Guidry, Schrader breaks down how voters view the direction of the state and its leadership's handling of the coronavirus pandemic.
0: If you dig a little deeper into the numbers over time, going back to 2017, um, we've seen the, the the overall right track and wrong track numbers sort of fluctuate with time. And I largely think that the pattern just tell us that, that that occurs depending upon what is happening uh, in the state at that given time. Uh, is there a major um, problem or crisis is being dealt with? Is, is there some something that the public has identified that's something that's extremely you know, popular that has just, or, or, or important to them that has just happened that they kind of collectively say, okay, this is something that's kind of moving us back onto the right track. And so what that means to me is the Mississippians are looking at all the challenges they face in the state right now, trying to get the coronavirus pandemic under control, economic concerns, uh, you know, concerns related to the, the, the to education. We, we've been hearing that there may be a pause or a delay on this te- the teacher pay raise that, might, that is scheduled to take effect. Uh, and some parents may be concerned, what does that mean, um, you know, for, for the, the teachers and the, the, the people te- you know, the people teaching in our schools where our kids go? So there, I think that right track, right track, wrong track, uh, right direction, wrong direction question is largely a measurement of where Mississippians see the state as a whole at a given point in time. Based on what's happening around them then
2: and there, we think about April of 2020. That's that's when the pandemic really became a, a real thing mm-hmm. for for many people here in the state. We are now, you know, 11 months essentially into into the pandemic since the first reported case in Mississippi. How do residents in Mississippi, voters in Mississippi, feel about the um, the measures taken by state leadership during this pandemic? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I, I can start off by saying, first of all, there's a, there's a question that the, there's no need to poll, and it's the question of are Mississippians and Americans in general exhausted by what's happening around them with the coronavirus pandemic? The answer to that is universally going to be is yes. But the, the, the question on our minds was that whether or not voters in Mississippi believe that the measures that are taken by state government and how they taken by state government so far, do they perceive that those have been appropriate? Uh, Have they have they not been have they not gone far enough to uh, slow down the spread of the virus or to stem the tide there? Or have they have those measures gone too far? And one of the things we notice here is the plurality of Mississippi voters. Forty two percent, to be precise, don't they do not believe that the the measures taken by the state government have gone far enough. Uh, And another 36 percent say that those measures have been appropriate. A much smaller percentage, about 16%, say that those that those measures the state instituted have gone too far. Now, I would add that just based on the reaction you see in the in the general public, or if you look at chat boards or social media posts, and things, that 16% I think tends to be perhaps a bit louder in terms of their you know their position than the rest. But but it's certainly a, a, a very small number comparatively. 16% say that the measures taken by the state have 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 uh, gone too far as it is, but the plurality do they, that those measures have not gone far enough.
2: Governor Reeves's leadership, specifically or management during this, is also something that you polled, and some of the um, the breakdown is quite interesting because, anecdotally, if you look, there are conservative voices out there in social media and other realms that believe what the governor has done is is, is a step too far, um, and then you have based on what this state of the state shows a considerable number of moderates and, and, and liberals in the state think that there hasn't been enough. Looking at kind of how that breaks down uh, across party lines, across uh, racial lines, across across gender lines, uh, what do you unpack there and, and what nuggets kind of rise to the top that you find interesting?
0: Respond. Many of the voices we hear, like you mentioned, on the conservative side of the spectrum that seem to be, again, the loudest in social media or holding anti-mask protests, things like that, that is, again, a very a relatively small share of the Mississippi electorate. So digging into those numbers again, uh, drilling down a little deeper, among conservative Mississippians, Mississippians who identify themselves as conservative politically, only a quarter of them believe, uh, that the state has gone too far in the measures that they've implemented to, to combat the pandemic. So again, I just want to, want to drive home that point that we're not necessarily talking about a, a, a large segment. We're talking about at most in the conservative populate uh, part of the electorate, no, about a quarter. Uh, so, so most conservatives, uh, almost half of conservative voters in Mississippi, and conservative voters are in the majority in the state, nearly 50% say that the state's response has been appropriate. Shifting to Governor Reeves and his crisis management in regards to the pandemic, what voters are – there's a split here. Uh, 37% of Mississippians say that he's either done an excellent or good job. 35% say he's done a poor or a totally unacceptable job on the other end of the scale. And then in the middle, you got another about a quarter. You got twenty six percent, give or take, that that say that he's doing a fair job. They're sort of they're sort of in the middle there. But that tell that just the way that that issue divides the, the, the voters at this point. Just how people are perceiving the governor's crisis management abilities in this situation, I think, is an important one. Now, I, I want to come back to those conservative voters I was talking about a moment ago. Over half, fifty one percent of conservative voters do say they believe the governor is doing an excellent or good job. And meanwhile, uh, only 22 percent of conservative voters, which would be kind of and I'm just talking about the conservative voters right now, because that is really Tate Reese's base politically. Only about 22 percent of them feel that he's done a poor, unacceptable job in that department. So I think that where he if if he if Tate Reese is thinking about his own political base, the conservatives are not really, in my mind, abandoning him there. However, you have the moderate voters in Mississippi and the liberal voters in Mississippi. on They're on the same page on this one. They're uh, 55% of moderate voters and 57% of liberal voters. are they, They're they saying the governor is doing a poor, unacceptable job in this situation. And so you've got a divide there where either the conservative voters or 51% say he's doing excellent or he's doing good, Fifty five percent of moderates and 57 percent of liberals on the far other end of that question, or that response, rather. So, so there's a sharp ideological divide there about whether or not Mississippians perceive Tate Reeves, um, how to perceive his management of the pandemic crisis.
3: Nathan Schrader is the chair of the Department of Government and Politics at Millsaps College. In part two of our breakdown of the state of the state, we look at Governor Tate Reeves approval rating after his first full year in office.
0: We're talking about even the conservative, white majority, Republican majority, congressional districts. He's hemorrhaging support if we're just looking at the approval, disapproval number.
3: That's tomorrow on Mississippi Edition. Coming up in today's book club, Mississippi author Michael Ferris Smith creates a backstory for the great Gatsby's narrator, Nick Carraway. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
0: For this new year, let's ditch the New Year's resolutions. On average, they only last about 30 days. Instead, let's commit to learn something new each and every day right here on MPB Think Radio. From health to finance and even Fido, (laughs) MPB Think Radio is your daily source for news, information, and entertainment. So let's make this a year to remember with MPB Think Radio, where Mississippi is our mission.
3: This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Karen Brown. It's fair to say that F. Scott Fitzgerald's The Great Gatsby sits high on many lists, among the greatest American novels, Mississippi writer Michael Ferris Smith says he was fascinated by the book's narrator, Nick Carraway. In his new novel, Simply Titled Nick, Ferris Smith creates a backstory for Carraway. He tells us he wasn't a big fan of The Great Gatsby when he first read it.
4: I remember thinking, I don't see what the big deal is. Kind of tossed it away. I thought that about most things in college. Um <laughs> Then I read it again probably in my mid-20s when I was um, actually living abroad. But I didn't read it again after that till about 14 years later. That was in 13, 14, and I sat down to read it again. And this time, it just really hit me in ways I wasn't expecting. I really just picked it up to read it because I was looking for something shorter to read, and I saw it on my bookshelf, and I thought, well, I'll give it another try because I don't really remember a lot about it. And it turned into, like, you know, truly one of the most surreal reading experiences of my life. And it's brought me to this thing that I could have never seen coming.
3: I think a lot of people, like you early on, read it and said, what's the big deal?
2: Yeah. What,
3: what is the big deal? Why is The Great Gatsby considered one of the greatest American novels?
4: That's a very good question. And, like, I thought, every time I see this on a high school reading list, I think there's no way those kids can get it. I mean, there's just no way, because the reason it spoke to me, and this is, I think, one of the reasons that makes it a a novel that sustains, is it spoke to me not until later in my life, after I had done things like lived in different places and met different people. I had my notions about home and country changed, and had my even just notions of who do we listen to and why do we listen to them, and how are we going about things and not a whole lot of this makes sense to me also having lived and loved and had children and moved and started writing and failed miserably for several years before finally having some success i mean i've been through a lot so i think the thing about gatsby that i noticed in it that i think sustains it is nick is very much kind of on this journey of trying to figure these things out for himself he have a very strong desire to belong and to fit somewhere, but also at the same time, he's just off-center all the time. He also has this ability to pull himself back and to extract himself from a situation, um, almost as if some type of self-preservation, I think. While at the same time, having served in the war and being in in America in 1920, which the, the country was in a vast state of change, much like we are now, his notions of home and the things he's done and seen and experienced are changing. He's trying to come to grips with all that, along with his own self-identity. And I think the self-identity issue for me was very strong. And I think that has a lot to do with the popularity of The Great Gatsby, because it has occurred to me over time in working on this novel and seeing the things I saw in Nick and things that I really related to. I think a lot of people feel that way. I think a lot of people are looking to try to figure Uh, who they are and where they belong and how they fit in. And just about the time you think you may be on the edge of it, things have a tendency to shift, and you almost are in this constant state of evolution of trying to figure these things out. So I I think that's why it relates to a lot of people.
3: Tell us where you or how you decided to go with him.
4: When I read the novel several years ago, I kept thinking about Nick, and because he tells us Gatsby it's in first person, so you don't know a lot about him, you only know that he was from the Midwest, that he fought in the war, that he went to Yale, and that he's, he realizes at the end of the novel it's his birthday and he's turning 30. And for me, that was the thing that really struck me about Nick because I thought, man, what it must have happened to this guy for him to be so detached that he doesn't even realize it's his birthday until very late in the day. And I realized th- things had brought him to that. Things had brought him to, kind of this romantic notion of America and and making your way and this and that and the other to this just all crumbles in an instant. And um, he's, he's very emotionally fragmented throughout, but he's also very detached too. And I'd wanted to know what had brought him to that. And certainly the war stuck out to me right off the bat. I'm like, you know, we know enough about PTSD now to know what these men and women go through who serve. And then when they come home, it's almost impossible for things to be normal. And that was my first clue there was a lot more to Nick. And I was so engaged in him as a character myself. I really had the very simple thought, gazing out of my upstairs window at my house, it would be really interesting if someone was to write a, a novel about Nick or write Nick's story. And just as, almost as, as soon as I had the thought, I just realized then that I was probably going to be the one to do it.
3: For those who have read Gatsby, It'll be interesting for them to read Nick. And for those who haven't, it'll be a good introduction to this character, who, again, is the narrator for The Great Gatsby. Michael Farrah Smith's latest book is simply called Nick. Michael, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much, Karen. I enjoy talking with you as always. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Thanks for listening to the Mississippi Edition podcast from MPB News and MPB Think Radio